between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. Father, we bless your name this morning. We come before you. We are pleading by the name of your son to receive mercy from you, from the throne of grace. We come boldly to that throne this morning to obtain mercy so that we can find grace to help in this time of need. We open up our heart, our souls, our spirits unto you. We ask you who answers the prayers of your people the Father of light. We pray to you this morning to come and visit us. Come and bless our heart. You alone who can bless man, no one can bless. If you alone have that, has that spirit which blesses the soul, which enriches the soul, which increases the soul. Thank you, our Father. We receive blessing from you. Righteousness from the God of our salvation. Bless your holy name this morning. I receive your utterance. I pray give me leading, direction. Turn, take this heart and this mind and turn it into your own vessel. In this moment that I will speak not my own things, but I will find mercy and grace to fetch your things and to fetch out of your waters the same stream which you have appointed to flow down this way this morning to bless every heart and to cause us to gain a greater portion of your joy. Thank you, our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. You're welcome this morning in Jesus' name. Um, please, you can just say hi to someone beside you. You can wave to them. Say, I'm happy to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles quickly to, to the book of, uh, let's see, First John. I think we've been in First John for a while. Praise the Lord. Um, let's just go back there. Um, let's, see what, let's see what the Lord will say to us. Uh, praise God. Um, let's, from that First John chapter 2, where we've been looking at, let's see from from verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If you're there, say amen. amen. Praise God. Um, it says, Love not the world, nor neither the things that are in the world. And if any man love the world, please help me just appreciate my wife for um, helping us to worship the Lord this morning. Thank you so much. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Um, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, it says that the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Praise God. <clears throat> And the world passeth away, and the lost thereof. But he that doeth the 
will of God abideth forever. Praise the Lord. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And verse 18 says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Praise God. Amen. So it's telling you how you know that it's the last time. The, the sense, the kind of a sense that you, you develop you for, to know the last time. Praise God. And so the, the way you know it's the last time is when who has come, when the Antichrist shall come, and then it says, so here is saying, speaking about two things. I don't know if you can see it. That is speaking about um, what he called uh, that Antichrist. That Antichrist shall come. That Antichrist shall come. So if he's saying he shall come, um, praise the Lord. You have heard that that Antichrist shall come. But now he's now saying that there are many Antichrists. So there is that Antichrist and there are, there are many Antichrists. And so the, the way we know is the last time. It's not necessarily when that Antichrist comes. Is when Antichrists, um, when Antichrists have come, which is he said even now, there are many Antichrists. So uh, when you have Antichrists, that's how you know it's the last time. Praise the Lord. So the Antichrist, it's very clear that Antichrist shall precede the Antichrist. The Antichrists, plural, will precede what? The, that Antichrist. So the, the Antichrist is actually the culmination of the, of the, or the full maturation. It's going to be like a man who has come into the full maturation of all the spirits of the Antichrist. Um, that man whom they call him the man of sin. Right? The, the man of sin who shall be revealed. Praise God. Um, in Second Thessalonians chapter, let's see. Second Thessalonians, let's see, chapter 2. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Verse 3, right? Or if you read from verse 1, Second Thessalonians, verse 1, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letters from us, as that day of, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And let no man deceive you by any means, for that that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, 
And then that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposed and exalted himself above all that is called God and all, all that is worshipped. And so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is what? He is God. Praise God. So this person um, that he is speaking about, is he calls him, um, in verse, verse 3, that he calls him that man of sin, right? Say man. So the word man of sin, the word man here, like, is actually um, referring to a developed person, right? You see, a man, when you, say, you become a man. When I was a child, I what? spoke as a child, but when I became what? A man I put away. So this man is not talking about a male person. Praise God. Um, this man here it can be male or female, but man here is speaking, has to do with maturity. Praise the Lord. So, the, so when you hear the word the man of sin, the man of sin means the man who, has, who is mature in sin. So somebody can become a man of sin. Praise God. A, a man of sin. The word man of sin means the stature of sin. Then you see the, the word man here also means the word son here. Right? Because son in this place is not talking about maybe someone that someone gave birth to. He's talking about a stature. Right? So the word son, we see it here that it has to do with the developed. So is a man of sin. And then he's a son. He has been given birth to for, from destruction. Destruction is, a, is actually, a, destruction is like a world. It's a world that is designed in the spirit. It's a design for soul. It's a, it's a realm that his soul can inhabit. So when you say his soul has been, has been destroyed, you can see a destroyed soul walking on the road and, and buying things and making calls and, and using the internet. Praise and going to work and coming back and getting married and all, but it can be a destroyed soul can do that. Praise God. So destruction, amen. You know, the Bible spoke about the destruction that wasted at noonday. <laughs> Praise God. The, the word destruction that wasted at, noon, at noonday. So that, that destruction is actually, destruction is a nature. So when you say something has been, Destroyed, you're speaking concerning the soul, right? So to, when you say something has been destroyed, it means that it, it no longer has any hope of being useful. Something can be bad and you can repair it. But when it's been destroyed, it means there's no longer a hope of it coming back. It can never, you can never put it together again. It can never be good. There's no chance at all for it to be good. Praise the Lord. So destruction is the... Is the end of sin. Where sin, sin does not stop until destruction happens. Sin doesn't come and go and say, okay, we are, they are done with you now. Sin will stay and stay and stay and stay and gain ground and gain more ground and continue gaining ground until it what? Destruction happens. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal, to do what? To kill and to destroy. Praise God. But he said that I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Praise the Lord. 
So this man of sin, um, the man of sin, and then they call him man of sin, then son of perdition. Are you seeing what it was something there? So he's a man of sin, but he's the son of perdition. So the word son actually means that he's, um, he has come into a, a maturity. He's actually born from a place. So he's, he's, a, he's a born from a place. Um, the same way you see Jesus Christ, he became the Christ, then he became the son of God. Am I correct? Then we've been looking at that son of God thing for a while now. You see, now you see that son is talking about, about a kind of a maturity or a development of a stature. Someone who the father has walked on since, since he has poured all himself into him. I say, okay, for this, I want you to gain a particular stature. And I'm going to develop you onto the fullness of that stature. Praise God. So that's the same way. So you know that sin is not just, uh, sin is not some, when you check in the spirit, how sin exists in the spiritual realm. When I say spiritual realm, I include the realm of your soul. Because your soul is not primarily, it's not an outward physical entity. Your soul is a spiritual entity. Praise the Lord. So when you, when you see sin in the spirit, sin is not haphazard, right? Like you, just, like you know the way it occurs to people randomly, like sin is just random. Men can just sin, but that's not the way sin is. Sin is actually a curriculum in the spirit. Sin is a walk. It's like, a, it's, an, it's like when you're going to study a course in school. They say this course is called medicine. Okay, praise God. <laughs> So when they say this course is called medicine, it means that course has a beginning and has an end. It has when you're year one, there are things you learn, year two, there are things you learn. It's a program, it's a, it's a sophisticated um, putting together of knowledge. So sin is just a compilation of all the things that a person will do to get destroyed. That's what sin is. It's a, it's a full, it's a masterful creation. Work of a cherub, of, of Lucifer. Who was, who was in the highest realm of, of knowledge and awareness in God. He, 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 an anointed spirit who put together that curriculum for man. Praise the Lord. So, so that's what sin is. So, so if, if you understand that sin is that way, praise God. You see, sin is that way. Then you see, death also is a curriculum. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and, and the gift of God is eternal life. Praise the Lord. Um, he said, when desire has conceived, it will bring forth sin. And when it has come to its end, it will bring forth death. So you see, sin has an end. And then even death has an end too, which is, praise the Lord, which is a, the complete destruction. The end of death is the complete disintegration of the, of the, of the frame of the soul. The full disintegration. Now to disintegrate the soul... It doesn't mean that the soul becomes completely not existing or not working anymore. It just means that you take it and you, it's like a puzzle, you rearrange it. Praise God. You rearrange it, but it's no longer useful in this realm. It's useful in another place. You change the formation. Satan is a wisdom. It takes a wisdom to do that. Because Satan is not, he's not really, when I say he created sin, he's not really a creator per se. He doesn't have the nature of God who colored those things which be not as what though they were. 
Praise God. But he can, he's a creature who can look at the things that are and he can interfere by virtue of the power. I don't know if I can call it power, if I can call it the, the there's a potency that was woven into his frame, into his fabric. Those things that they spoke about in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28, praise the Lord, where he said, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, right? That was Lucifer. Praise the Lord. So Lucifer is a full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. He spoke about all his covering and every, every other thing. Praise God. And so God had put him in the Eden of God, in the paradise of God. The paradise of God is a place of knowledge. Actually, paradise actually means the paradise is the, is the origin point of creation. So, you know, there, were, there are different departments of creation. There was there's the heavenly department of creation. When you go into heavens, you will see in heavens a type of things you find upon the earth. So there is an Eden. There was an Eden on the earth, like we saw from Genesis chapter 1. But when God created, in the beginning, you say God created the heavens and God created the earth. And then the earth was without form and void. It zeroed into the earth. They didn't go into the heaven, like what things were in the heaven in Genesis. Praise the Lord. They didn't look in detail into what God made in heaven and the organization of the things which he did in heaven. But we began to cite those things later through prophetic um, provision throughout the rest of the scripture. That's when you now began to see patterns of things in heaven. Praise the Lord. Majority, sorry, majorly um, through the pattern which the Lord gave to Moses, right? Because the Bible speaks about that pattern. It said these things are a pattern or a type of the heavenly things. So through what... God gave to Moses. God gave Moses a prototype of heaven. Praise the Lord. So, but in the beginning, the scripture did not record the, the details of things in heaven. He just moved into the earth and began to, to speak about the organization of things upon the earth. But you, but, but you now begin to discover that there are similarities between the heavens and the earth in terms of the, the creature wisdom that God applied to bring forth things. Praise the Lord. So, so in Ezekiel 28, there's also an Eden in heaven. It's, it, they call it the Eden of God, right? That, that Eden um, is, also the, is also the place for, is also a place that carries the powers of origin. Praise God. The powers of what? It carries the power of, what's the power of origin? is a realm that has mastery over the rest of creation. So if you went to Eden, the way God created um, Eden in the beginning, and you began to study Eden, as you are studying Eden, you begin to gain wisdom above all the earth, above all the creation. You know, God put him in Eden. He said God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man which he formed. That was in Genesis chapter 2, right? So from that place... All of God, God did not say, be traveling from time to time. You know, he didn't tell Adam, okay, after, I want to take you through all the continents. It's possible there were no continental plates at that time yet. But he didn't say, I want to take you everywhere. So you can, there's something, an area called South America. There's a, the terrain there is different. Um, in that terrain, the, 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 the rainfall is different. Things are different. So I want to take you there to study something. But no, he just put him in Eden. Because all of his learning, everything that he needed to know was there. 
because that word Eden was the garden of the earth. All the prototypes of everything which you find on the earth, you find it there in where? In, in Eden. Praise God. So you see why anybody who can be in Eden and have mastery of Eden, why such a person would be very, very high when it comes to creaturely things. You will have power, like, like Eden. From that point of Eden, Adam was supposed to carry out dominion over everything else that was made. I know it's not possible to have dominion um, without knowledge. Praise God, without, without really, real knowledge. When you go to it, you see a plant. You can't really relate with the plant without knowledge. Right? You can't relate with the plant. You can't relate with the earth without knowledge. You must know about things on the earth. Amen. For you to relate with them. You can't relate with even, let's say, we call them wildlife now. But I don't know. I don't think they were wild from the beginning. But animals and all of those things, you have to actually relate with those things, with knowledge. Why? Because of all the, 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 the actually crafted out of knowledge. Praise the Lord. Right now, there are different fields of study. Praise God. Praise the Lord. In zoology, different fields of study that study different kinds of, you can just go and study the ant. Even the Bible even said that. Go to the ant and study his ways. <laughs> Praise God. So he saw that they were behaving more foolish. Right? They had reduced so low that knowledge that ants have, they don't even have it. So say, okay, I want to teach you something right, very, very, right now that's very vital for you that the ants have. Go there and study. So when you go to the ants and study, you will now see they have the organization. There's a defense system there. There's a system for how they feed, how they get their food, and all of those things. Are you seeing that? Just in ants and every kind of animal, they have their own knowledge. You can study the butterfly. You find out they have their own ways too. You can go into, see how mountain goats behave. You see that they have their own ways about them. Those are knowledge. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So, so all of creation, that's just speaking about physical knowledge, right? So physical knowledge, all of creation is full of knowledge. When God creates a thing, it's like an infusion. It's a work. Whenever God puts a work down, there's a knowledge in that work that can be seen. Do you get what I'm saying? So Eden was something like that, but Eden was special. Eden didn't only have natural knowledge. Eden also had spiritual knowledge. Even the Eden of the earth. Because man could interact with Eden, and his interaction in Eden could have a spiritual consequence in his soul. Praise the Lord. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? Same thing right now. We've gone far from Eden. The whole world has gone far from Eden. But the whole world is still spiritual. In other words, when a spirit wants to kill a soul or to destroy a soul, he doesn't do it by laying hands on the soul and the soul will fall asleep. And then he will play a spiritual movie, maybe a spiritual dream or something. And then this is the, this is the, the module of destruction. And it's like a movie, we just play to you when you are asleep, when you, are, when you wake up, you just hate God. And just, no, no, I don't like God anymore. I don't have, want anything to do with him. My soul has been altered. It doesn't work that way. The devil doesn't work that way. The devil will not hypnotize you, and then when you are asleep, do something inside you. He can never do that. So the only way a man can, can move 
in his soul. When I, by movement, I don't mean traveling spatially. Movement in the soul is life and death. The soul takes no other movement outside life and death. So when you say, we are going to do this now, after doing it, when you come back, you either lived more, you died more. Those are the only movements that the soul can take. Because when you, when you look at the soul and extract it spiritually, it's, it, all the soul is is a container that should carry life. It's a vessel of life. That's what the soul of man is. So when you are transacting with the soul, any transaction either results in the soul depreciating in life or increasing in life. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? So, so, and so the, 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 the transaction of life within a soul is difficult for you to really touch the, the, life, the life deposit of a soul. It's difficult to tamper with the life deposit of a soul without getting the soul to have some kind of interaction with its natural environment. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So it's hard for you to make a soul, and maybe an evil spirit just comes and sits you in one spot and says, I'll just talk to you. I'll tell you very bad things to think. Then based on thinking all these things, after a while, you, you will just expire. It doesn't work like that. Because of the way there's a way that the soul is made to to tap into life, to touch the life deposit of a soul. The soul must work. The soul must do what? The soul must work. A kind of work must happen. It must do. It's exercise that tampers with the transaction, praise the Lord, of the heart. So a soul can be exercised unto godliness. It so can be exercised into ungodliness on destruction or destruction. Praise the Lord. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when, when a person becomes sharp, smart spiritually, when you become smart spiritually, is the day that you realize that you cannot divorce your spirituality from what you are doing. The day that occurs to you is a revelation. Once that occurs, whoa, that's a breakthrough moment. And the day you know that, spirits know you know. That's the, that's the greatest kept secret. And spirits have done a lot to keep that thing secret. Praise God. Spirit has done, they've done a lot to keep that secret. They've done a lot to make men not be aware that, that everything you do, you are either spending your, the life of your soul or you are using it to gain life. That everything the soul does is a transaction in life. You can't say, no, I opt out of that game. I'm not playing that game. Let me just hide my life somewhere and then just live on the earth. It's not possible to do that. The way you choose to live will determine what kind of person God sees when he sees you at the end. Who is that? Who is that person? Praise God. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we said he would judge every man. He will, will, will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, where he will give to every man according as his work shall be. As his work shall be. As his work. It's according to as his work. What? Shall be. What is that work? It's the work, the, the transaction which the person takes while they are what? While they are in the flesh while they are in the body. Praise the Lord. Am I saying something to you today? Praise the Lord. So you see that realm of Eden, like I said, Eden carries 
has a lot of, it carried a lot of spiritual, um, by, by interaction with Eden, right? The thing that Eden was so powerful that because of the amount of, the amount of investment of spiritual, um, Eden, the materiality of Eden had plenty of, it had a lot of capacity to carry spiritual potential. So when you relate, when man was doing dealings in Eden, the impact on the soul was great. Praise God. The, the impact on what? The impact on the soul was great. Same thing in the present time. It's not, not everything has the same amount of potential spiritually. Not everything has the same amount in terms of the ability to sway the soul. The ability to sway. The ability to, to call, to pull to seduce. Do you get what I'm saying? The amount of debt it can cause. Now, the, let's say if I take this phone now and give it to you and we're looking at your phone, you having a phone versus me giving you a phone, right? And relating with a phone versus relating with a carrot, I mean one small carrot like this. Praise God. They don't have the same potential to kill. Do you agree with me? But those are two things. They have different potential. To, I mean, when I say kill, I mean to seduce the soul out of life, out of the path of life, out of the way of life. They don't carry the same, they don't carry the same potential. Do you get what I mean? Praise God. Or maybe a piece of shirt versus a piece of land. There are two different propositions to the soul. One can kill a little, one can kill a lot. That if you, the soul is not developed well to handle it, some souls are not developed enough to handle maybe a shirt. So when you give them a shirt, you have to, heaven has to manage how they allow shirts to flow to you. Praise God. Because if someone, there's a some kind of clothes someone will wear, their, their body will not only wear, their, their soul will start to wear it too. You know, normally, body should wear clothes, right? But after a while, the, the soul will say, look, I need to wear this thing too. After a while, as the person is seated, the soul has worn it and traveled to somewhere and, and has come back. The soul is extracting everything. Everything that that shirt can, you know, that shirt can be a door to infuse some things inside the soul. Can feed things. The shirt can feed lust. It can feed pride. It can tamper with some things. Do you get what I'm trying to say? But the pool of a shirt is easier to overcome than the pool of a piece of land. Say land. Let us empty. I'm just led to just sow this into you. To give this. this. You, can, you can alter the life of a man by just doing that. If the person is not developed to handle a piece of land. After, once, the, once the land is coming to you, it's just dry land, but to a soul, it might not be just land. The person you can see, you can see future. You can see destiny. You can see purpose. You can see vision. The, there's no end to what that person can see from that land. From that land, they can see three more, five more, ten more, twenty more. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? Do you, so are you seeing when, when you say things? Say things. Things are not ordinary. 
That's why it's very hard to separate when you say earth. You know, the Bible said the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. In the book of Psalm chapter 24, praise God. The, the, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell in it. Praise the Lord. So you say, ah, but the whole earth belongs to God. And you now see someone of the scripture will now talk about the earth as if it doesn't belong to God at all. As if the devil owns everything. The earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world, and all that was therein. But later they now speak about another being, being called the prince of this world. And at that point they call him the God of this world. So who owns it? Does God own it or does he own it? You have to separate those things, but you have to see. You have to see, praise God. That's the, the, the purpose of the sight of the scripture. So it, it takes some maturity to see the earth that God owns, or the world that God owns, and then versus the world that the, that the devil owns. It's, it's the, the physical materiality was created by God. But those, that physical side, that physical, the materials on the earth, they don't, really, they don't really have meaning themselves. They're actually made to be used by spirits. Every physical thing, the physical is under the spiritual. So the, that which is under serves that which is above. So there is no physical thing that is free. Anything that you see is physical. There's a spirit, so at least maybe one or two that has interest in that thing. No matter how simple, no, this is just a very, no, this is a simple something. Look, look, look. I'm not pursuing things in the world. I'm just looking for just basic things, just basic. I just need one shoe. I don't need many. In fact, it doesn't even have to be look, to look fine or fashionable. It should be long. The type that, the type that sinners don't like. So, the, you know, we feel the more ugly it is, the more holy it is. Praise God. But you see that ugly shoe, oh, there's a spirit somewhere. That has a ministry. There's a, what that means is that there's a spirit somewhere that knows how to use it to access a soul. He knows that he knows. So you know that what there's a spirit that knows. No matter how ugly that shoe is, there's a spirit that knows what to tell a soul who is wearing it to make it use, do a walk on the inside. Nothing is free. Nothing is free. Nothing in this world is free from the. Use when I say the users, it's not that spirits are using shoe or wearing shoe. They don't wear shoe. They have no value for the things. Are you getting what I'm saying? Like all our money, take all the trillions in the world and call the most useless demon. Take, I'm giving you all this. Leave Satan or leave us alone. Just take all the money. They will tell you, look, this money thing doesn't mean anything to us. But they will do everything to make sure that that thing means the whole world to a human being. That are spirits. Praise the Lord. So spirits use things. So Adam's, and sorry, Eden. So when you see Eden, Eden is a, when you go to Eden, you see is a, a realm of sophisticated things. Eden is a world, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a congealed realm of, of knowledge. It's possible that maybe there are kinds of trees in Eden that you might not find even on the earth now. It's very possible. Why? For there are many reasons I can give. It's possible that there are trees that, that man doesn't even know how to tend or how to take care of. That man has lost the knowledge of how to. You know, there are some plants that if you don't know how to handle them, 
where to put them, what to do with them, they can die. So each, each creature has its knowledge. There, are some, there could be some animals who are extinct now. Why? Because the kind of habitat that God created for them to live in has gone from the earth. But the earth no longer has them, such a habitat. You know, are you getting what I'm saying? You don't know what happened when the flood came. You don't know what the flood destroyed. You don't know what kind of world existed. But by the, the language of Genesis, we can tell, we can infer that even natural things like trees, Praise God. Even when it comes to the skin of animals, all of those things, there was, there was significance to all of those things in the, uh-huh, at that time. So all I'm just saying, I'm just trying to make you understand what kind of wisdom Lucifer had, who was the, an entity of the heaven, the Eden of God. In heaven. So he's a person who, from that point, you can see every other kind of creature. His, his soul, his wisdom. His anointing. See, anointing. That our the anointed cherub that covered it. His anointing can extreme to the depth of creaturely wisdom. He can see everything. He knows the potential of everything. So, out of that sight, he went to say, okay, how can we craft something that can kill? How can we... So, you can see that seeing is a wisdom. Actually, seeing, the power of seeing is in its ability to use the elements. Because when sin is talking to a person, sin doesn't talk to you about just God, 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 God. Okay, you see, I see that secret aspect of God now. Hate it, hate it. See that there's another part of God that you need to hate right now. In that kind of abstract tense, term, sin doesn't talk to a person like that. Sin only uses what you know. Pen, this pen. Let's talk about this pen right now. There are things about this pen. And sin is just talking to his soul. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? So where did the wisdom mean that the person who created sin, he knows about the element. He knows about the soul. He knows about the soul's tendencies on how to relate with things. He knows what things the soul can cling to as what? As glories. Praise the Lord. He knows what things that soul can do what? Can cling to as what? As glories. Amen. So when you say somebody was a son of perdition, the word perdition there means destruction. Are you correct? Am I correct? So perdition is destruction. So a son of destruction, man of sin, of course, is developed in sin. What they say is a son of perdition. So a son of perdition is, is, a, is actually a kind of a man who, who is a product of the realm of destruction, right? So there are many things about the word son. You know, one of the, the main understanding of son is the son is the declarer. We've been learning that, right? No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has what? He has declared him. That is John chapter 1. You go to Hebrews chapter 1. God who on sundry times in diverse manners spoke unto the fathers by the prophet, but has in this last day spoken unto us by his what? His son, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Are you saying the meaning of his son of a person? He's a declarer of that person. This is my beloved son 
in whom I'm well pleased. To do what? Hear ye him. Praise the Lord. The time is come and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Praise the Lord. This is he who came by water and by blood, not by water only, but by blood also. Praise the Lord. And then after there are three who bear record in heaven. But the next verse, there are three that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood. What's the witness? It's a declaration. So you can go on and on and on and on. Praise the Lord. And see throughout the scripture that one of the main criteria, the main reason for spiritually for sonship is to to bring about an expression. There's something about the father, the man, that needs to be expressed on the outside. When you see a son of a father who really, really looks like his father, when you look at a person who really looks like his father and then has really inherited the father, it's as if that person is explaining who the father is. Like there are some hidden things about the, the man. Even if you look at the physical dimension, it's also that way. You'll say, ah, you see a likeness in the child. That is actually likeness actually in your dad somewhere. You are interpreting him. You are interpreting there's something about that, his own DNA. There are actually hidden parts of his own genes that he not express fully. But the son, when you check the child, they can pick those hidden aspects. Those some of times the recessive aspect of the genetics and express them. That's in the physical dimension. You see that happens. It also happens in the part, in the aspect of soul training. So every child, for example, and that's one of the biggest lessons that we're learning with my daughter, is that that children do not learn what you tell them. That's a law. To me, that's the most important law of parenting. Once you know that, you are okay. If you don't know that, I feel like all the mistakes that parents have made with their kids is trying to expect their kids to do what they say. Well, kids are not programmed that way. Kids do what they see you do. That's just the summary. So if you want to raise your kid, just act how you want them to be. But most of the time, if you have to act, it is too late already. <laughs> so by the time you're having a child, just know that that is it. Whatever they are seeing, that's what they are going to. Yeah. My child will say something. Where, where did you hear that from? Where did you hear that from? Then after wondering where she heard it from, I will now catch myself saying it. <laughs> I say this thing. Are you serious? How many of you have things that you say, just maybe in your conversation, just words you say, that you're not, you, you don't know that you actually say those things very frequently. And someone points it out. You actually say this thing a lot when you're talking. That thing is happening a lot. My daughter. So it's not, she's just drinking the parents, are, she's drinking her parents and after a while you see that she's, what she has is what she has drank. She becomes an expression of that. So that's when she spent time with us. That's the purpose of the sonship. The sonship says, who be in the brightness of his glory. The God who at sunrise times, Hebrews chapter 1, in diverse manner spoke unto us. The fathers by the prophet has in this last day spoken unto us by his son. Now, what makes the son better than the prophet is because of their, is their, is their, their capacity of speaking. 
So the prophets who spoke to the fathers, they could speak about God, but they couldn't speak exactly about God. It takes a son to speak exactly. Do you get that? It takes a son to do what? To speak exactly. So this son who has now spoken to us in the last times, why he can speak speak better, why they had to remove an a former order of speaking and bring him a new order of speaking is because we have one who can speak as the brightness of his glory and the express it means he can speak the essence and the covering he can speak everything concerning god do you get what i'm trying to say praise the lord so this son of perdition here is the son of perdition is the son of destruction. So the son of perdition is the person who the realm of destruction has, who has inherited the attribute, the life, the nature. He knows about destruction and he can, he can publish destruction. He can, he can bring forth destruction. You know, to speak to man, to, for someone to be a real accurate or legitimate speaker to man. You must be a man. That's a law. Now, God cannot come and hang in the sky and speak to us. No matter how God tries it, it's not going to work. Do you get what I mean? So right from time, when it comes to speaking to, about to men, God has to be raised, use men to speak. He started with the prophets first, who were men, who he was speaking with. Then, the, but the prophets were just men. They couldn't tap fully into the exactness of God, the exact nature of God. So you have to find somebody who, can, who is also a man, but who can be opened up to receive what? The, the, the full image of God. That was who Jesus was. Jesus was the man who was anointed who could, who could access the image of God. He could access the very image of God. And by virtue of that access, he could, that access coming into the full image, it was his birth, God giving birth to him. That's how he became the only begotten son of God. Praise the Lord. So then he could now begin to speak to man those things which he received from God. Are we being blessed this morning? So it says that if, that this son of perdition now, Verse 4, he has the strength, he has the ability or the capacity to oppose and exalt himself above all that is what? Called God or that is worshipped. So that he has God seated in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Praise the Lord. So the ability to oppose and exalt himself Above all, that what all that is called God means anything that acts like God to man. He will expose, he will oppose those things and he will exalt himself, what? Above those things, above all that is called God or that is what? Worship. So what this thing means here is that this man of sin, this antichrist, praise God, or from this man, now they are speaking concerning the man. Now the man of sin is a person who has come into all disabilities. It's resident on the inside of him. This is the way it was with Christ. 
right? So, you know, Christ in himself, or let me say Jesus in himself, Jesus himself, he embodied in himself as a man all the things that pertain to his father. He was able to trap it in flesh. In flesh. Say flesh. Flesh. He was able to just carry it in the flesh and carry all of those understanding, all of that nature. By virtue of sight, whatever I see my father do, I'm doing is seeing his father. By seeing his father, fellowshipping with his father, he's able to come into the, the image, the inward image in the soul of his father. Praise God. That's the same way this particular man of sin, who we call the Antichrist, is going to be. Yeah, you know, so that he just copies God. Whatever God is doing, he wants to do his own. Oh, God has a Christ. Me, I need an Antichrist. Praise the Lord. So, that Christ, Antichrist, actually means also the, it's the link to destruction. Christ is the link to salvation. The Antichrist is the link to destruction. Like I said, salvation, both salvation and destruction, they actually, they actually knowledge, curriculums in the spirit. What is salvation? All the things a man needs to learn to, be, to get to a point where he can never be destroyed again. Do you understand that? Yes, sir. So what is soul must know, that when he knows all these things, uh-huh, at this point, this soul can no longer be destroyed. They say this is a saved soul. This is a statue of salvation. Then destruction is all the things that the soul will know that will make the soul unable to be put together again. So that is destruction. No destruction. Jesus did not die for destruction, right? Jesus, there is no sacrifice. When the Bible says there is no more sacrifice, though. if you go beyond death, that Jesus came to die to bring men from death. But if you go beyond death into destruction, destruction means that. When we check everywhere, there is no provision to put you back and bring you back. Are you getting me? The car is bad. Okay, there are mechanics who can fix it. Right now, it's not working. It doesn't start. It doesn't move. So it's dead. But there's a, there are mechanics somewhere that they know what to do to bring this car back. That is not destruction. It's not, that's where every Christian who was before they got born again was. Almost all of us, before you got born again, you were dead. You were not destroyed. You were dead. Why? Because there is a mechanic in the spirit called Jesus who can bring you back from that dead state. So you are not destroyed. You, you haven't tasted of this thing called perdition. But, there is a, but if from that death place, there is a place where a soul can move farther and farther and farther till it gets to the point where there is no, when you check everything that Jesus, is in Jesus' blood that they made provision for man for, you find out that that soul's problem is not in the record of what Jesus' blood reveals as solution for man. There's something like that. That's what the Bible calls the unpardonable sin or the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, all of those things, which no man can be saved from those things. That is destruction. Do you see what I'm trying to tell you? So a soul can get to that place. It's not easy to get there. It's not like something, some people can just commit a little sin and feel, oh, they are now gone forever. No, you don't know what it takes to be, to be gone forever. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. Praise the Lord. So, but this spirit called the Antichrist is the spirit that is empowered, is empowered to make that happen. In fact, for him, it has already happened to him. 
is already beyond. He can never repent. He can never change. He can never turn. He has fellowship with Satan too much that he has gone beyond the place. It's actually a point of no return. There is a point of no return from man. Amen. The point of no return from man is where, number one, the person doesn't have the capacity to believe anymore. That's the point of no return. Because believing is the only access to what God, Jesus, provides. It's the only access to the, 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 the things of God, right? So, and so no matter how bad you see a soul out there, they, there's still somewhere, something left in them that can still believe. Just when the right time comes, the right, when the Holy Ghost reaches out to them in the right way, in the right moment, there's something in them that can still, there's something they can respond to. It's just that maybe that thing hasn't come yet. They haven't yet seen the ministry or the ministration or the thought or something that, they, that the faculty of belief in them can respond to. So some, a lot of people, it's a matter of time. Everybody has their own different time. After a while, you see this person that seems like a hardened criminal or hardened, sorry, sinner who just want to just break one day and crumble. Someone says, ah, we've been trying to save this guy for a long time. You don't even know. You don't know why. And you wonder, why did he break? You don't even know. Some guys got born again. I've heard strange stories. They don't even know why they even got born again. They themselves don't know. It's just something. There's a, a faculty within the heart that can believe. Praise the Lord. But this place of perdition is that the person cannot believe. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing left in terms of that, no, no deposit in their heart that can believe. Why? What can do that? What can, what can remove every ability in a soul to believe is knowledge. Knowledge. Say knowledge. knowledge. No, say knowledge fights belief. Knowledge fights believing. Praise God. Now, there are some souls that should not be exposed to too much knowledge too early. There are some souls that if they get exposed to too much knowledge too early, right, it will be more difficult to save them. It will push back the potential of believing. That what would make them believe, they will need a way, way, way more overwhelming experience to connect their capacity for belief. But souls who, haven't, who don't know too much, it's easier for them to believe because there's not too much fighting the ability in their mind to believe. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? So this nature of perdition, like I said, is knowledge. Like this spirit, the devil knows what to teach a man. That as he's teaching a man, he's a, every teaching of this curriculum, he's killing Ability. Before, maybe you could believe God through these things. But now, Satan will go there, cast great what? blindness by, by illumination. You know, you know the best way to cast blindness is by illumination. The best way, the, the illumination that is just, sorry, darkness that is a result of pure ignorance is easier to remove than darkness as a result of a wrong light. That it's not that they are not exposed to it, you expose them to it, but in the wrong way. The hardest people to break into the word of righteousness are those who know a lot about the scripture. But they know a lot about the scripture in an intellectual, cerebral way, religious way, 
but not according to the way of the Spirit. Which is, and it's only the way of the Spirit and the path of the Spirit that you can find the, the true knowledge. Because this, the Spirit of God is the vault of God. That anything outside the Spirit is subject to corruption. When God wants to preserve it, he puts it in the Spirit. Find it by the Spirit. When you can take journey of the Spirit to find it, you know that what you are finding is, more, is most likely authentic because you've journeyed by the Spirit to get it. Amen. But the devil wants you to join, learn outside the Spirit. So every learning, everything a person learns outside the Holy Ghost is, has the ability to kill the faculty of faith in the, in the soul of a person. Amen. Are you getting what I'm saying? Right? So everything that you learn outside the spirit, say outside the spirit. What is the meaning of outside the spirit? What does it mean to learn something outside the spirit or without the spirit? It means that you are feed, when you feed your mind, but you're not subjecting that thought. You're not checking, you know, there's your mind here, and then there is the, there's already an established, um, an established walk of the spirit. I'm not talking about maybe the, feeling the Holy Ghost. I feel him now, you know. So you have to wait for maybe feeling of the Holy Ghost before you read your book. Maybe you say, your professor say you have these three, three chapters. And then you say, I have to wait and pray. Um, I, don't, I don't want to read this thing without the unction because if I read it without the unction, it's possible that it can make me get destroyed. So you have to pray and pray and pray and feel the spirit. Okay, right now, it's time to read. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm not talking about the, the spirit upon you like that. Oh, wow, I'm wallowing in the glory. So it's time to open physics. No. Praise the Lord. Uh, when I say, say spirit, spirit, amen. Spirit, actually spirit in a soul is an inheritance. Right? We all have different levels of spirit. I mean, I mean I'm talking of operational spirit. Right? I'm talking about operational spirit, the spirit that you operate with, the spirit that you, you, you walk with, that you live with, is a deposit is in the heart, is in the depths of your soul. And when you are, when the, the time of learning by the spirit, like maybe you are listening to messages, you are, list, you are in a meeting, you are under the presence of the Holy Ghost, this is a time of deposit of spirit into your heart. So when you break down spirit, spirit is actually spirit, amen. Spirit is the, is the clothing, the inward environment of the heart. But it doesn't come alone. I'm not talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about having things in you that think, there are some things that don't stand outside the, the wearing of the spirit. So when you have spirit properties in your heart, your heart will be full of spirit. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So when I say, what is spirit properties? Spirit properties is revelation. There are thoughts that are, there are thoughts that don't sit, out, that, that there are thoughts that do not sit in the heart outside of spirit. For example, thoughts about the nature of God, about the Christ nature, the nature of the Christ. That's, those things are materials, they're actually revelations that you, you can't find those revelations outside the clothing of the Spirit. That when they sit in you, they sit 
in an anointed way in the heart. Not every knowledge is the same. Praise God. Not every word, knowledge is the same. There are things that you know, real spiritual knowledge. I mean, the things that, are, that can be in the heart of a person that builds up conviction for the way and the life of the Spirit. There are actually things about the nature of God and of Christ that sit in the heart, but they sit in an anointed way. There's an anointed way. They don't sit alone. They see, they're actually brought by his spirit. The spirit of wisdom brought them. Handed over to the spirit of understanding that took them and made you understand them. And brought about by the spirit of counsel that began to speak them to you when it was time to do them. And the spirit of mind that possessed you to do them, contrary to what the world was suggesting to you. Are you getting then the spirit of knowledge that packages it together in how it ought to sit within your heart? And then the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's the, the, that spirit of the fear of the Lord is the, is the imagined atmosphere of the heart that is present when such things are in your heart. You say, ah, especially, I just fear God. I just fear God. Somebody is trying to fear God the way you do. They can't because they don't know what you know. They don't have what it is. There's, there's something on the inside of God. Are you, talking about, you know, the fear of God is, praise the Lord, is not easy to just manufacture it. You can't just manufacture fear for anything. Most things that you fear, you don't, in your conscious mind, fear doesn't sit in the conscious mind. It sits in the dead. You don't know why. I shouldn't be afraid of this thing. Why am I afraid of it? You don't know. But when the thing comes, ah, it takes over. You don't know why you're afraid because of where fear sits. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? But the fear of God is not that kind of fear. The fear of God is a deep reverence for, of God that sits. That thing is an anointed thing that is sitting where? In the world in the heart. Am I making sense to you? Yes, Am I making sense to you? Yes, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, so learning in the natural, learning outside the spirit. You know what I mean now by outside the spirit? Right? Anything that you learn outside the spirit has the potential to cause what? To deaden the soul to God. Praise the Lord. So learning by the Spirit doesn't only mean learning Scripture or learning revelation about God. You can learn things naturally also by the Spirit as well. Yes. A key part of learning by the Spirit is because when you're learning something, you don't just learn... um, You don't just learn... Praise the Lord. Let's say you are, let's say in your field of, of practice, right? There's, there are things that you have to learn in your field of practice. Let's say practices that you have to do to achieve a certain result. Now, when you're learning that thing, there's a way your mind can feel you are just learning something objective. That this is just a simple knowledge. A plus B equals C, that's all I'm learning. No. Anytime you're taking in information, many things are happening. Anytime you have to learn something, it's not just you and that book. There are spirits around. Because there are other things that they can add, they will pad that thing with. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So when you are learning, there are many things you're calculating. You're not just storing the knowledge. You, your soul must also do an evaluation of a sense of priority. So at the same time, 
right? Not everything just enters your, your mind at the same level. That what I learned yesterday and this one, they mean the same, they have the same priority. But when you are learning, you put it somewhere. You say, this one matters this much. This one matters that much. Everybody learns in that sense of priority. How many of you believe that? That sense of priority is what determines on exam day what you remember. Or what you remember more than other things. There are things that you remembered more. Ah, this one is important too. The prof actually said that. Did that? that one, you, there's a way you put it. Where you put that one is not where you put just the little tips and all those. They are not the same thing. Are you getting what I'm saying? So it is with life. Someone says, okay, I just want to teach you something about the stock market. Um, it's just a very simple um, thing um, I just discovered about investment. And there's a way you can actually just take your money and put it. There are some stocks. There's a way you study the stocks. You know, you study the trend and all of that. And then I say, okay, wow, this is just knowledge. I mean, physical thing. What, what camp could there be in this? <laughs> now, am I saying don't learn stock market? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you get the sense of what I'm trying to say. That is a way that you can now take that lane of stock market and then you will shift some other things from a place and put them aside and put that one there. But another guy can come and learn the same thing you learned and he knows, this, he weighs it. Where does this one rank in the eyes of important, hierarchy of important things and put it in his place? That is a learner by the spirit because only the spirit tells a man what to do with knowledge. Only the Holy Ghost, the Holy, if any man without the Holy Spirit try to appropriate knowledge and give it its, 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 its ranking of priority, you will do it wrongly. There are things we put that knowledge above that it should be below. Yes. That's the meaning. So you know, say, okay, what, what, so what makes a person able to appropriate the priority of something he's learning? Is it just I feel the ghost around me? No, no, it's not just that. No, no. It is, say here, that your debt, there's an inward witness, which is actually a build-up of things you already know. It's your already established sense of priority, which you gain by walking with God. That's what you apply to learning. That then tells you what priority the things take. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? So a lot of times when the, devil, the Lord might not expose you to things early. Say, I want to go and learn and do this thing. I want to do that. The Lord says, okay, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. It's not because those things are bad. It's just that the Lord might check. If you go and learn this thing now, you don't know what to do with it. That at this phase you are, you need to grow maybe a bit more before you can be exposed to this kind of knowledge. You will misappropriate it in your soul and it will end up causing death in the soul. Praise the Lord. Are you getting a sense of what I'm trying to say? Amen. So this man of perdition or this um, antichrist, praise the Lord, he said he wants to then exalt himself. That is his job. To exalt. So the exaltation of himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, all that is called God and all that is worshipped in the soul are things that have already taken the position of God. And we've seen before that these can be all kinds of things. I said at the lowest level of men is their belly. 
right? God, those men whose gods are their what? Are their belly means just anything that can satisfy me, gratify me in the present, in the flesh. That's all I'm going for. They prioritize that above their wife, their children, their everything <laughs> above God. There are people like that. They cannot suspend gratification of anything of any sort, right? Are you getting what I'm saying? That's almost pure animalistic behavior. But they are, that's a very low human being. But there are other levels of people who, who have other things as gods in their lives. Amen. But when this Antichrist will come, so it means that before he will come, there are things that are already sitting as God. If I hear somebody say, ah, well, I have only one God, Jehovah. So this message doesn't apply to me. Just Jehovah is my only God. I don't have any other God. In fact, since I was born, I've only, only served Jehovah. Praise God. And I realize that the God of a man is not who he says his God is. That's not how they check who a man's God is. It's not by what? Uh, it's not by who he, he says his God is. The concept of God is deeper than what a man thinks his God is. I'm sure all the, you know, all the time Israel were just kept disturbing God. That was one of their biggest problems, idolatry. Right? Idolatry. And they just kept doing that. I'm sure if you ask them, Israel, who is your God? Ah, Jehovah, which we have names for him. You can call him Yahweh, you can call him, uh, we interpret everything. This is our own, this is the God of Israel. But some, but they go to high places. When the, when the, say when the going gets tough. So, just studying Israelite, you should study them. You should, you should have depth of understanding about this thing called idolatry. It's not what you think is your idol. It's not that. It's not by what you say. A person's God is not like that. Have you ever wondered? Do you know that after they build the golden calf, the experience of smoke and blackness has already happened? It, I mean, it just happened. I mean, the fear when God came down upon the mountain of Sinai that made them quake, the fear of God that they just experienced, wasn't too long after that. They went to go and call Aaron. Yeah, come, yeah. What kind of thing? It means that there's something <laughs> about men are sick, right? They made another God. God told Moses, look, your people, they are doing as expected. So when we are calling God, God, my father, God knows he's not your God. He knows that. He himself, he knows he's not your God. He knows that. For God to be your God, say, I'm born again, doesn't mean God is your God. God is not yet your God by getting born again. Praise the Lord. So you have to find out that souls have many gods, right? A god to a person is who do you, where does your energy flow to? Where does your energy, the energy of your, whilst you are just living every day, what is that thing that when it calls you, you don't have the right, you don't have the thought even to resist? That when it calls you, you have already, you have gone, done everything it called for. Before you even begin to ask yourself, ah, what did I end up doing today? And even you begin to take stock. 
you begin to, ah, well, this is not really how I planned this day. I didn't really plan for things to go this way. Why? Because a God, so a God, when you hear God, God is not a title. That right now I'm sacking this God, the other God, no, 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 no. You don't even know what it takes to sack the God that is God in you. You don't know what it, you can't sack him. The things that, that calls your, the energy of your soul, the attention. What makes you the things that you feel you should be doing, you're not doing them. What you should do, you won't do them. But what you shouldn't do, you tend to do those things. It means it's a sign of something as the, the attention, praise the Lord, of the heart. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? So it's very clear that before this antichrist, this spirit of the antichrist, this man, we're looking at this man now. That's not really what I want to talk about mainly today, but I want to talk about more of that spirit of the antichrist a little. Like he said, men, that antichrist shall come. But now we know that there are many antichrists. So there will be many antichrists. When the many antichrists have prospered in souls, then before that man of sin will then come or he will arise. Praise God. So it's very clear those antichrists, those many antichrists, actually, they are, they are the spirit of the, those antichrist spirits are the spirits that are effective gods to souls. They are effective gods to souls. They are the spirit that is able to pull men to do. So when the Antichrist comes, he will now exalt himself above all those things that are called what? Gods. To the souls of men. Am I, am I making some sense to you? Amen. Now, another word for the world. Say the world. Another word for the world is anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. Yeah. It's the same thing. When he said the spirits, the spirits of the Antichrist, he's not talking about the spirit of the world. Do you see that? Because when you, with knowledge, you know it's true because we've been teaching it that the world the world is that which is against Christ, right? The world itself, the nature of the world is too weak for, to be against God. I mean, if the nature of God himself is formed in a soul, the world is too weak to stand against God. So there are other creations of the darkness beyond the thing called the world. That's why the world himself has a God too. Praise the Lord. So this man here, who they call the Antichrist, you see that in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, when he's beginning to do what he wants to do, when he begins this operation of exalting himself, then later going into the temple of God and standing as God, it means that at that point he has title. This title is not just Antichrist. There's something higher than Antichrist called the son of perdition. So uh, this, this man, do you agree with me? So that person who they call that antichrist is not just an antichrist. Because there have been antichrists in the world before. 
but there is that man called the Antichrist, who is an Antichrist too, but there's something higher. He's actually born from destruction. So he no longer has the, he doesn't only have the capacity to war against Christ in his soul. He also has the capacity to fight against the formation of God in his soul. The formation of the nature of God in his soul. That's the, that is the, the, the anointing of, when you say the son of perdition, is the son of destruction. The work they do is how to destroy. Now, you don't need, if, if somebody who is just worldly, you're just worldly, you're just worldly, that's just your problem, you're just worldly, you don't have anything, you don't have inward resources that is strong to resist worldliness. Hmm? You don't have inward resources to receive. So, this, this nature, this man of son of perdition, he's even too high in the kingdom of darkness to come and stand as an adversary against you. All you just, the world can do the job. Just be under the world. The world will take care of you. But when somebody has overcome the world, and then, you know, once you overcome the world, you have to now begin to learn another thing, which is called everlasting life, right? When you overcome the world, you need to learn everlasting life. What is everlasting life? If someone who overcame the world, you overcame the world, can still be overcome by the world. This is wisdom of scriptures. You overcame the world, it doesn't mean that you cannot still be overcome again by the world. Right? So, overcoming the world means the loves of the world. When you say love not the world, right? It means those things are no longer in you. You no longer love the world. You're now learning to love the Father. But if you don't finish your course of learning, loving the Father, after a while, you can still start loving the world again. Do you get what I mean? Yes, the fact that you love something before and you stop loving it today doesn't mean you can't love it again. Do you see that this thing with the world? And sometimes we are just bouncing between loves. You forgot that love. You focus on another thing, and then that love will come back again. And say, I'm still here. You remember we had, we had dealings back in the past. I'm still alive. We can still pick up this conversation from where we stop. The world is resilient. It doesn't go away that way. You know, it's a drink. It's a wine. To somebody who's an alcoholic, can go back to alcohol and then say, no, we're not doing this. And you have that, all the problems, the, the alcohol cause, maybe they lost their family, lost something, they go into recovery and all that. And after a while, what will happen? There are still pathways in them that can go back to that thing. They can go back again to it. So the work of everlasting life is not to make you overcome the world. It's to delete all the pathways do you get what I'm saying? It's to make that life you have everlasting. To make it everlasting means that you come into the stature where you cannot unwind. You cannot roll back from that state of holiness and sanctification which the Lord has brought. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So, the work of this, the, the status that this son of perdition has, praise God. Is also a, a power, an ability in the spirit that can take a soul and then seal his soul against the knowledge of Christ. Seal his soul completely. Now, without this work of perdition being done in his soul, praise God, without this work of perdition being done in his soul, it means that this, that soul, when you see a soul that has not been destroyed, that this work of perdition has not been done in them. It means that that soul can still one day tell the devil, I don't like you anymore. I've heard there's something called Christ. Let me go and try Christ out. Even though that person might have been a, a full hater of Christ before. That's why I don't rule out anybody. Don't rule out anybody. As long as the soul is not destroyed. You don't know how far God will go to bring the soul back. The deepest place in hell is not too far for him. He has been there. That's where he was born from. Praise the Lord. That's why the devil will not rest. You say, ah, oh, this one is worldly. In the kingdom of darkness, they don't celebrate worldliness too much. You know the way we think that, ah, they're just happy. Well, they are all worldly. No, 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 no. The way those guys are, those spirits think, no. They don't see, because they know that you are, you are worldly, but it's just, a, it's just a little thing. You just have to encounter somebody who has the impression of Christ. And one day, that impression of Christ will seduce you more than the world, and before you know it, they won't see you anymore. <laughs> the devil knows it's very, very possible to happen. So he, he will never stop at a worldly soul. When he says the soul is worldly, but that soul still has the ability to respond to Christ, he will never stop his work until his soul. He cometh not but to steal. It means after he has stolen, he won't stop, stop coming until he's, he has killed. When he has killed, he won't stop coming until destruction happens. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? You need to understand all these things. You need to understand what we are in. And I said before, like, as you are living, you cannot live a whole day without participating in that transaction. As you are living, you are or currently, you are in the balance. Your soul is in the balance of being stolen from, being killed, or being destroyed. Amen. So there has to be an insulation. So nobody should ignore the, this is the, the reason for this John's thought. John thought things from different sides. 
right? That, this chapter that we're reading, let's go back to that first John. Praise God. Amen. So this is another side of the, the gospel of love. Praise the Lord. First John 2, right? It's another side of the gospel of love that we have to know. Amen. So let's read on. Let's see what John was saying. So and um, verse, for all that is in the world, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, right? And the world passeth away, and the loss thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth for what? Forever. So what they're just telling you is that the, the only thing that can make you safe from these corruptible things from the world is that you must do something that can make you abide forever. So that, that thing, making you abide forever, is salvation. Or it's what they call everlasting life. It's the, everlasting life is a life that you cannot roll back from. Right? They, want to make, they want to make it everlasting to make it last. That what makes the life lasting is that when the world is coming with its argument, you have knowledge to dismantle the world, not just the thought of it, but to dismantle all the, the infusion of spirit around that thing. You know, sometimes what gets you is not the logic of the thought. It is the spirit of the thought. And the spirit of the thought is more powerful than the logic of the thought. Mm. It's men who invest in logic. We think it's just logic, but spirits don't invest in logic alone. They trust. There's something that they put their, their trust in. The devil doesn't, doesn't bank on. So if the devil wants to make you pursue something, maybe a, a path, something natural on the earth, and make you, that will steal from you, from the amount of life you have. He doesn't put all his, 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 his hope on, and all his trust in the logic of it. Do you get what I mean? That, okay, there's this job now that you need to go and take in, in Australia. It's a very, very rare opportunity for you to go and do. You can go and do it for five years, just go there, add to your experience and all of that. Now, when you come to the logic of it, there's a way it, it will be logical. It can be logical for you. Um, so this makes sense. Well, I'm pointing my career where that's needed and all that. But, but in, the, in the logic, Satan will not just come with a logical sense to appeal to your logic alone. If he does that, you can easily overcome it when you are guided, you know, you have enough sense. When you factor in other things, you factor in the fact that, okay, am I going to leave all my brethren and travel there? All my support system? Am I going to leave everybody I know? Right? Am I going to leave the primary place where my soul is being fed and being enriched for this thing? Those are things you can logically think out. Well, eh? Satan won't do that because he knows you can overcome it. So he will make sure that when that thing is coming to you, he, there's spirit around it. Spirit. It's not void of spirit. Most times, what makes you go out of the way? It's not just pure, reasoning, logical thing. What is the spirit? Is that make sure that, that going to do that thing, there is some feeling about it. There is some glory attached to it. Yeah? 
that has some glory or some, it, it can give you, when you think of it, as you are thinking upon it, it's opening up a sense, a feeling about what your future could look like. It's feeding, it can feed deep lusts and pride and things that it can, are you getting all, this, all those things around it? Those things around it is what makes the, 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 the temptation powerful. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? So, so Satan doesn't tempt without spirit. He doesn't tempt without what? He doesn't tempt without spirit. That's why he, everything is, the purpose of spirit is to make, is to turn thought into image. That is the, the, the work of spirit is to create image, to build an image, to make a work of an image. Amen. So in the book of Revelation chapter 13, when you saw the beast arise, the Antichrist arise, you saw, that you saw him arise, arise and then later he, he had in India the false prophet who arose out of the earth having a great mouth and was talking. He said that guy was giving power to make an image onto the beast. What is the meaning of making an image? So spirits are image makers. When a spirit wants to tempt a soul, they don't just bring logic to you. They have to produce an image that your soul can what? Can fall in love with. Something that you see, the soul falls in love with images, pictures, images, 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 painting. They are image of life. What your life could be, what you could enjoy, what you could, what you could take, what you could have if you follow through on this path. And images are hard to resist. Every time, this is the level of temptation, the, the place where temptation plays out. It's not just in your mind. Temptation doesn't play out. That's why when, when I say Christians, who think you can intellectually build people up against the devil? You're wasting your time. You don't know who the devil is. You know this cerebral Christianity we are doing now? Let's think out the whole Bible. Let's logic. You think you can put logic everywhere. You know, it means you don't know anything about human beings. Human beings are the most illogical, irrational creatures that, that exist. Almost everything we do is irrational. When you see a person behave rationally, huh? go and study it. That is, is something of note. Something almost miraculous has happened. Every time a person behaves rationally. Everybody is mad. When you really, when it really comes down to it, let's just say it, right? Everybody is crazy, right? right? You can't look at this world and tell me everybody is not crazy. No, everyone is crazy. We do things. Let's say in the old day, eighty percent of the things you do are not rational. How many things do you sit down and say, "What are the pros, the cons? Write the pros, write the cons." Okay, let's list them out. Let's see. No, no, no. We don't live. Man doesn't live. Man lives by way. There's something on the inside pushing you. Occasionally, your rational mind will interfere. But most of the time, what's driving you is too strong, it's too fast, it's, too, it's, too, it's moving in a direction, praise the Lord, that your rational mind, a lot of times, is too weak to even interject into the path, the way, the way that seemed right onto a man. The ways are powerful. 
Because ways have power of suggestion of righteousness. The way can suggest righteousness to you way deeper than your thought can. Ways move men. Men live by the ways of their heart. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? So, so where, where temptation happens, it's not, it's not logical. That's why trying to memorize, let's say, everything Jesus said, for example. So anytime you have a decision to make, okay, what did Jesus say about this? What, what verse of the scripture said this? That's an unrealistic way. Is it with any pastor that wants to raise you that way, they are wasting your time. Do you know why? Because even you, you know that when that temptation comes, you're not going to think about the Bible. You're not going to try to scripturally, logically evaluate the situation. The only things you end up evaluating scripturally, logically are those aspects of your life where the way is not too strong yet. The work of the devil in that area is not too strong enough to just move you. So those are the few areas where you still think about scripture before doing things. Are you getting what I'm trying to tell you? So the, the place where temptation happens is not a logical interaction. Temptation, anytime someone is being tempted, it is image versus image. It's image versus image. Image versus image. And the reason why we end up doing the wrong things a lot of times is because the image of the Christ life we have is not, it's not well formed at all. It's not formed well. It's too blurry. It's not, it's not formed enough to the point where it's convincing enough for you to sow into it as opposed to going to the image. Because when the world paints an image to you, Kai, the world's image is always complete. There's nothing lacking, usually. Are you getting what I'm saying? You feel the world has a way of painting things. You see, okay, see that, that job in Australia and that, that job you say, okay, this job will open up this door, but the image you are seeing, it's not just, it's not on the offer letter they give you. All they said in the offer letter is that, just come, we'll give you one place to stay, and then we'll pay you this amount of money, full stop, that's all. But when this temptation is coming to you, you don't see just that. You build other things around it, okay? From that position, you can get the other one. And then when I get the other one, aha, my whole career will just open up. All that things will begin to come. I just you just you begin to see yourself be contacted by recruiters from here. Recruit. I just I just found your profile on LinkedIn. And you have a very key experience and I get what I'm saying. Say images. images. So you say what made the person leave all his brethren and travel to Australia? It's not because of offer letter. It's images. Images. So an image rose up that they didn't have a corresponding image of Christ to fight that image. Are you getting what I'm saying? When you think of that thing, and then imagine thinking of that thing and someone whose who's heart is not rich in Christ. That's why I say let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. It's important for Christ's wisdom to dwell richly because the amount of riches of Christ's wisdom you have will determine the richness, the resolution of the image. Let's say the word is bringing UHD. Not even 1080p now, UHD, 4K. And then your, your image of Christ is what? <laughs> what resolution? <laughs> eh? It's not, you're not. <laughs> what? Eh? 
you see, you're seeing the glass darkly, <laughs> dimly. Praise God. Hallelujah. Ah, there's something called the perfect light. There's a perfect light that's coming. You know what will keep a soul to in the everlasting realm is the perfection of the light. You no longer see darkly or dimly. But imagine when you see, when God is, the reason why we behave the way we do is because God is not real to us. We don't have a concrete image of God. The well-formed image. The, the purpose of the everlasting gospel is to paint a concrete image of God. A clear image of God. So that no image that the world can paint can be compared to the image of God in the heart. Are you getting what I'm saying? So it's very clear the ministry of the New Testament is an, an image-building ministry. That's just the work of ministry, preaching, teaching the gospel. It's just to, just, just to build the image. Make it clearer. Make it clearer. Make, build something. Build something. Build the image. Build Build an image of Christ and of God that can, that is so can look at and it can speak against every contrary image that the devil is developing. Praise the Lord. So the, the purpose of the spirit of the Antichrist is to build images contrary to the image of Christ. That's the, that is the strength of the spirit of the Antichrist. Say Antichrist. That is how the Antichrist operates. It's not think this evil thought against Christ now. No, it's talking about the ability to craft images. And when the image, the Antichrist is crafting images in the heart, it's not an say image of Antichrist. You think it's something with the horn and something. No, that's not the image. You see what they were talking about in chapter 13. I saw a beast with ten, seven heads and ten horns and all of those things. That's not the image that people see when that spirit is painting images. What do they see? Good life, simple life, nice life, easy life, right? A life of, with reputation, all of the things in this world. Are you seeing very nice images, beautiful things that the spirit paints to the soul? Praise the Lord. Let's read on. Praise God and verse 18. Amen. That's President chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, and even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time, right? And they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not what? All of us. Number 20, but ye have an unction from the what? You have an unction from the Holy One, that, and then you know what all things. So it's very clear this unction from the Holy One is an antidote to this spirit of the what? Of the Antichrist. Amen. <clears throat> I have not written unto you because you know not the truth but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. And who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist that denieth the word 
the Father and the Son. Well, whosoever denied the Son, the same had not the Father. And he that acknowledged the Son had the Father, what? Also. Praise the Lord. And let that therefore abide in you which thou have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us where eternal life. And these things have I written unto you concerning them that do what seduce you. So these things that he's writing are concerning them that seduce. So when you say them that seduce, who are the seducers? Right? It's the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit of seduction. The spirit of seduction. What is it seducing our hearts from? It's seducing our hearts from the, the word there. Is the love of first the love of Christ, which should flow into the love of the Father. Praise the Lord. So every soul that is weak when it comes to the love, weak in the love of Christ, is your is that weakness is because of say seduction somewhere. Every time the heart is weak concerning loving Christ, loving the Lord. Because check it, check it. Every time you're feeling a bit weak about the loving the Lord, it's because there is something seducing you. That every time you you cannot be able to muster the love you need for Christ and for God, it's because there is something you would rather do than that. There's something you would rather do than that. That when you, you look at Christ, Christ, say Christ. Christ. So was Christ is not seductive enough to our soul. He's not seductive enough to our soul. There are other things that are seductive more. And what seduces are images. images. There are many things about Christ that makes him not seductive to us. For example, when you think of the learning of Christ, you know that number one, that learning is a very is a controlled kind of learning. That there are actually there are actually rules around the how Christ is given. For example, one of the rules is authority. Christ's nature cannot flow outside authority structures. The authority which he had put when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And he spoke about how those gifts are ordered. He gave some to this. Gave, he didn't give everybody. He gave some to be pastors of. And then when he, he gave all those things and said, okay, that's it. For the perfecting of the church, for the work of the ministry, for the, the fine of the body of Christ, for praise until we all come. <laughs> so that gift was given for all to come, but he gave some. He didn't give, he didn't give all. He gave some until we all come. Praise the Lord. So, so that thing of order of the dispensation of Christ. So first, that first alone, let's forget about other things about Christ, eh? Like the, the trial, the all of that. Let's forget that. Let's just talk about just the fact that there's a controlled nature to, you know what I'm saying? It's very, very opposite to what the world is promising you. The world is just promising, just, just be a free thinker. There's no need. Why do you, why do you need, don't, what the world will tell you is that there's no reason why your, anything about your future should be tied to maybe one particular place, one particular person, 
one particular thing, one particular company of people. No, why is that? We, we, we promise you freedom. You should have the ability to determine your own life. Paint your, what, what picture of life do you want? Then it's a seduction. It's, it, that, that seduction is a seduction of the door. It's not, even, it's not even to seduce you. You know, there's seduction in the path of Christ. When the trials comes, when all the, the fire, when the, the messenger of the covenant begins to try and purify the soul and all the things he needs to do to the soul to actually build the image in the soul. That is actually the, the seduction in the house. But there's actually the seduction of entrance of the door. And the seduction of the door always borders around the, the soul, not just agreeing with the authority structure of Christ. You'll be wondering, why, did, okay, why would Christ give this person, this one? Why would Christ give this one? Why must I? Why must, does he have to be? Okay, why is it not possible that I can just decide anywhere? I want to just go to this random desert, and then God will just send my own angel to me. I'm here to bring Christ to you. I'm your minister of Christ from heaven. Why must it be? Do you get what I'm trying to say? So, and the world knows that. So the, that work of ambition for your individual, just having your own freedom to just control your life, do your own thing. So even pastors have become so weak about this area, they even now begin to preach it on the pulpit. Well, it's just an individual journey. Uh, just know the Lord for yourself. You know, we are just here to just, you know, if you have questions, if you have anything we can do, just to, you know, as you are joining with the Lord, you know, we're just here. If you, any way we can assist you, you know, we'll bring the coffee, we'll bring the, the donuts, and you just, <laughs> just, you can just read a book and just discuss and all, anything you want to do. Ultimately, it's just, uh, praise God. I was telling someone recently that the age or the days of men come in and say, I have a word from God. For you. So this almost gone. Pastors, I'm afraid to even say that. I'm a, minister, I'm a minister of God. I am a servant of God. Jesus called me. I have a message from Jesus. It's very hard to see such men anymore. It's very, why? Because of the world. You know that this society is not framed for that kind of talk. <laughs> the society has said men who talk like that, they are what? That they are, they are court leaders. <laughs> they are deceivers and they are... The, the world has painted men who speak that way as immoral people. The one who just control others and all that. That's the world. That's the world. But Christians are so foolish. They're so foolish. We like a pastor who shares scripture with you like a brother. Well, what do you think? What's your own opinion? <laughs> we don't like the pastor that says, this is what Jesus said. If you don't like it, go home. When you're ready, come back. We don't, like, we, don't like, we don't love men anymore who have the authority of Jesus. Men who Jesus has brought closer. To a place where he will not bring everybody at the same time. Men who they have captured and made to pay sacrifices that you will never ever pay. 
Even if Jesus came physically and begged you with kneeling down, please, can you pay this sacrifice for this? You, you will never agree. But men who decide to pay that sacrifice, you don't like them. We just want them, God, by force, we want all of you right now. And this is how we want it. God doesn't operate that way. Are you getting a sense? You, I'm just painting one aspect of seduction. To you. It's just the seduction of the door. Then when you see your friends or maybe your people around you who, who live so freely, you, you're always thinking, yeah, who my brethren think? What would the pastor think if I do this? You always, you always have that problem. But you have even someone just living with you. They just wake up in the morning. Oh, I just booked my flight. I'm just, gonna, I just, I'm just going for the weekend. I'm just going to take off too. And it's not like you, you don't have money to take off too. It's just that... <laughs> Are you seeing what I'm saying? It's an image. See that life, you're just free. It's an image. The world will promise you this is life, man. Uh-uh. After suffering under your parents for how long? Your parents controlled your whole life, everything. It's time to enjoy now, you know? And then there's one guy talking about. Um, So it's seduction. We don't, it's just that the, the world has defined freedom and bondage to us. The world makes us free that think that the greatest bondage is somebody who is physically restraining you. But that's the least, the weakest kind of bondage. The greatest bondage is the bondage to your desires. That is bondage. Bondage to what? Your own desire. That's the greatest bondage of it. So let the world set you free as much as it can. It can never set you free from that one. It's the bondage of your nature. You can't escape it. For them to deliver you from that one, heaven must intervene and set, create something around you where they can hold you down and kill your will. Your will is the bondage. That's what exalted is. It's called stronghold. That's what the weapons of God are unleashed against. That one doesn't just go anyhow. It takes wrestling. See, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? What are those principalities and powers doing? They're trying to make you free. Make you feel like you're, you need to be free. You need heavenly weapons against them. The weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. It means they're not outward. It's not to deliver you from some outward something. They are, see, they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. See everything they mention in that place. They're not external things. It's not to deliver you from the slave masters who had all the black people in slavery from how long? No. That's not what the weapons of the warfare are from. For the pulling down of stronghold, casting down imaginations. Where, where are imaginations residing? Inside your own mind. I mean, nobody's holding you. You are just walking around. But you're in bondage. You're in bondage to your own imaginations. Nobody can deliver you. No, no government can deliver you from that. No, no learning. There's no university that can deliver you from imaginations. 
every high thing that exalted what itself against the knowledge, then in bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience. That is a free man. A free person is a person who all their thought has been brought into captivity. It's very, very funny how they, they are talking about freedom and then they are talking about captivity. For you to be free, what holds you bound must be held captive. Before they even began anything called ministry, he has to lead captivity captive. So it means that those who he will minister to are those who he has actually led captive. Those who were captives of the devil. He has to, God has, Jesus has to take you captive. Jesus does not teach anybody who is not yet a captive of his. Jesus doesn't teach free roaming souls. He, he teaches people who have been able to come under a captivity. Praise the Lord. Those who he has led captive, when he has led them captive, he gave gifts unto men to minister to those people who he has brought under his own captivity. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. We need to get to a point where the, the captivity of Christ becomes seductive to you. Amen. When you, you, you begin to cry, we ask you, what's wrong with you? You say, I'm not captive enough. No. You just check your life. You say, I'm still, why am I still behaving like that? Why am I still doing everything that I, I love to do? You should become jealous of people who have been held captive by Christ. People who you should be jealous of are not those who do whatever they want. There are those who can do whatever they want if they wanted to, but they chose to be captives. You should be, you should be jealous of such a soul and pray, beg heaven, and ask for heaven for them to help you to come into that place. Let's just begin to pray now. <clears throat> Just pray, pray this message. Um, maybe there are different aspects that minister to you. Just pray it out to the Lord. Just have an, the aspects of this you need to come into. Maybe there are resolves you need to make more commitment, covenant in the depths of your heart. Just pray. I'll give us two minutes. Two minutes. Just keep praying. Keep praying.
thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, you heard the cry of our hearts individually. You heard us. We ask that you will run these things. We don't know, we don't know much about the inward dealings of the heart. How you come about raising men with this level of conviction, with this depth. But Lord, we just trust in your provision of your son and his word and his doctrine and all that he has given to us to raise us into this place. But our prayer today is just the, the grace, to receive grace and mercy for surrender, for yieldedness, for you to rot all that you desire in our hearts. Thank you, our Father. We give you all the praise. Holy Spirit, take this word, take this message. Come and use it. And may it continue to echo within the depth of our subconscious. And Lord, I ask you to shed more light concerning these things. Thank you from today you will begin to bring us into fullness of that image. The depth of our soul to overcome seductions of the world and of the enemy. Thank you, our God. We give all the glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth.